The word of the Lord has opened for this afternoon hour to the 22nd chapter of Luke's gospel. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 22. It is a lengthy chapter, and I'd like to start reading with the 31st verse. Luke 22, beginning with verse 31. The the scene here is the Last Supper that our Lord enjoyed with his disciples, and uh, we're now entering partway through the conversation. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said he unto them, But now, he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeling down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they took him and led him 
and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. I've read until the 54th verse. I think I've said before that the Gospels are unique in that they are biographies of the life of Christ, but they're unlike other biographies that are written about other men or women. The majority of the time is spent in that final week of Christ's life, the events that happened there, the things that led up to his death, and then finally his resurrection. And time, it seems to slow down as details come out uh, from, from these, uh, these accounts, and especially when you overlay all of the Gospels, you get a full picture then of what happened in that final week. We have both the advantage and the disadvantage of knowing the entire story ahead of time. We've been through it many, many times. But in the moment, the disciples knew so little, or understood, perhaps would be a better way of saying it, understood so little of what their Lord was trying to teach them and trying to accomplish them. And it's interesting, <clears throat> we're told that our memory is actually very closely related to our emotions. When there is a strong emotion associated with a memory, we remember it. It gets retained by our memory. When very little emotion is connected to an event, it's often not remembered. That's why things that are either very traumatic for us, very troubling, stick very sharply in our memory, embed themselves in our memory, or, or times of great joy and happiness often will, same thing, stay in our memory. And Christ, it's interesting, he's teaching them things, knowing what's going to happen, and knowing that the, the trauma of his death that they were going to experience there was going to sharply etch each of these scenes into their memory. He used that fact of human experience as a way that his disciples would remember the things that he told them, even though they didn't understand them at the time. I find that interesting to see how our Lord knew that, and he's laying out ahead of time exactly what's going to happen, knowing they will not understand it, but also knowing that they will remember it. And here we have before us uh, Luke's account, and he, he was a, a very uh, able and careful scribe who, though he did not see these events himself, carefully recorded eyewitness accounts. And I would imagine for this portion that we've read together, directly from the disciples themselves, the things that they recalled in that upper room. Many of the uh, conversations, uh, the, the things that Christ said to his disciples were said specifically to Peter. And we could make an interesting study just going through the things that Christ said to Peter. And he begins here by saying, Satan has desired to have you to sift you as wheat. Now, we think of a sieve when we're talking about sifting, but this sifting was probably more like the, uh, done on the, on the threshing floors, and that then maybe makes a little bit more sense. Satan's desiring to pound the tar out of you, to really beat you up, the way that they would thresh the wheat. 
hit him again and again and again until whatever was superfluous was, was knocked off and the wind would carry away. I think Christ was saying here, Satan realizes that you have some importance in the kingdom of God. There's a special place that Christ has for this man, Peter, headstrong Peter. And because of that special purpose, he really wants to have at you. Doesn't sound like much of an encouragement, does it? And Jesus said, you know, it's interesting. He doesn't say, and I've prayed that Satan wouldn't be allowed to do that. He says, I pray that your faith wouldn't fail you. You're going to go through that beating. You're going to go through that threshing. But the important thing for you is not to escape the beating that Satan has in, in store for you, but to come through it. That that's going to be the necessary thing. That's not something that any of us look forward to, I think. Nobody likes a beating. But there were things that had to be beaten out of Peter. And so God was even going to use this, this experience, this tempting of Satan. Can you imagine the trauma that Peter went through in these next 24 hours? His closest friend in all the world, his Lord, his master, the center of his life, was going to be taken from him in an absolutely brutal way. And worse than that, he was going to deny his Lord when he needed him and bear the shame of that. It must have just been a soul-crushing experience for Peter. It's said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but Christian tradition records that every time Peter heard a cock crow, he would weep because it was a reminder of, of how he had denied the Lord. And you can see that the, the, the impetuousness, the, the, the headstrong nature of Peter to charge into things without thinking was replaced instead on the other side of the resurrection with a much more thoughtful Peter, a Peter that was even willing to take open rebuke from the Apostle Paul when Paul withstood him because he wasn't acting in an upright way with the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were concerned. And so sometimes it's this way. God allows, you know, I heard it said that Satan uh, is like the, um, the, 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 the switch that Christ uses sometimes in our life to correct us. He allows Satan to have his way, not that Satan would triumph, but because God has a redemptive purpose in it, and it's not pleasant. No one, I think, those of us that as children received lickings from our parents, no one enjoyed that. I mean, some of them maybe didn't feel it too much and we kind of laughed it off, but when we got a really good one, oh, it hurt. It wasn't pleasant. But I would venture to say that for those of us that received correction, provided it was, it was proper correction, we realize now the benefit of that discipline we received as children. And where we see where that discipline has not been applied in other children, we say, oh, what a shame. It's too bad. That child is being spoiled because they're not receiving the discipline that they need. And they will turn out worse for it. 
It's easy to see in other people. It's a little harder to see in ourselves. The cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt have shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. That was the alarm clock of the day, the, the rooster crowing in the morning. It says, before daybreak, you're going to deny knowing me three times. And in the setting of the upper room where Peter was the, the de facto leader of the disciples, the one who was in charge that must have seemed just absolutely incredible. How can it be? Here we are, we're in safety, we're enjoying the Passover meal together. How can that even be possible? Well, the Lord knows. He then turns around and says to them something very interesting. He says, when I sent you out, and if you remember the, the 70 that were sent out two by two, he sent them out without a purse, without a, without a satchel. That's what a scrip is, a journey bag. We'd call it a backpack these days. Uh, provisions for the way. A staff, right? Uh, he said, did you lack anything? And the disciples said, no. We were, our, our needs were taken care of. Wherever we went, we preached the gospel, and there were people willing to invite, the, invite us into their homes. And our needs were taken care of. And Jesus says, but now, he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. I'm sure this made the disciples scratch their heads when they heard this account, or heard this, these instructions, I should say. It seems to go against everything Christ has been saying. How can this be? Especially the last point. So what was Christ saying here? What was the purpose of his words? Earlier on, he taught, if one man smite you on one cheek, give him the other also. He that compels you to go one mile, go with him twain, go two. And now he says, take a sword, sell your cloak, the thing that keeps you warm at night, and buy a weapon. Why? Because the disciples were going to learn how far human strength would get them. When Christ sent them out, they needed nothing. If they were going to go out on their own, they should take whatever provisions they could take along with them, anything that might help them, and they would find out how, how, how far it would get them. Not very far at all. Without Christ, they are holding it all together. They all forsook him and fled. Peter denies his Lord three times after promising that he would go to the death for, for him. And this is important that we need to remember. The church is unlike any other organization in the world. I once heard a definition of the world and the church, and I, I like it. It makes a lot of sense to me. A definition of the world is anything organized around anything except Christ. Whenever you get a group of people organized around something that isn't Christ, that's the world system. Because anything that doesn't have Christ at the center of it is the world. And it can be an innocent kind of a thing, too. But with the nature of man, even something that starts off with good intentions quickly goes bad. But the church, the church is any group of people that are organized around Christ. And uh, I did, did some research once about a prison in the U.S. 
where the warden there began to uh, institute chapel, having chapel time for all the prisoners, that they would hear the word of God. And it's interesting to see how the word of God spread to the point where you had men there that were serving life in prison for murder and rape and horrible crimes, never to be released, because if you have life in prison in Louisiana, it is life in prison. You die within those walls. You know what they were doing? They received the word of God. They began churches there in that prison. And then they sent out from that prison missionaries to other prisons to share the word of God. So these, these men that had been touched by the love of Christ, by the gospel, then went two and two as Christ had sent his disciples. They, they requested transfers to other prisons, other maximum security prisons in the states, so in that state, so they could sow the, the seed of the gospel as they had received it. That's a church too, not a typical church. But that's a church too, because where those are gathered around Christ, Christ himself is in the midst. So, if you want to gather yourself around anything else, you better take all the help you can get, and it still won't succeed. For those who think that this, this is an instruction from Christ to bear weapons, look what he says. And they said, Lord, behold, there are two swords, and he said, that is enough. <laughs> two swords among twelve? I'm not so great at math, but that doesn't seem like a fully equipped uh, group. No. Two swords was enough to prove a point. Because when one drew it, Peter drew the sword and, and, and smote off the ear of Malchus, Christ himself healed him right there. And then we see what the purpose of Christ was. Not to fight. He told Pilate, Thou sayest that I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Else would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. No. The kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Christ, is not an earthly kingdom that relies on earthly weapons. No um, hypersonic missiles and thermonuclear bombs, drones, electronic warfare, all of that is from this world. Our weapons are of a totally different nature, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Communism, in spite of all its... Uh, formidable arsenal of, of ballistic missiles crumbled and the church that they had persecuted sprang from the ruins again. And so will it be until Christ comes. There will be a winnowing, there will be a threshing that happens, but I don't believe that Lord, the Lord will allow the light of faith to disappear from this world until he comes again. They went on to the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting, this next account, I don't know how many of you think like me, but uh, one of the things that crosses my mind sometimes when I read in Scripture is, who recorded this? The disciples were all sleeping. Who saw the angel that came and ministered to the Lord? Who wrote down the things that Christ was saying to his Father? The only answer I have is that this was somehow revealed, or the Lord shared it with them afterwards. Luke himself says the books could not contain all the things uh, if they were to be written. The world could not contain all the books that should be written if they were to all be recorded for us. So there must have been a lot that was not recorded here. But somehow the Lord made sure that this dialogue with his father, this, this conversation with his father would be recorded for us. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that he did. 
because here we see Christ the man. Even he didn't like punishment and difficulty and pain. No sane person does. If you enjoy pain, something's wrong with you. Christ didn't enjoy it either. And he suffers along with us when we suffer. But listen to his words. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He realized that the pain of not falling in line with God's will was greater than the pain of, of what he was going to go through. We sometimes forget that. Just recently, our children had some shots. They had to get a few uh, immunizations that they didn't get because of COVID. And you know, the muscle gets sore and it hurts. It's not pleasant. But we do it because we know that the consequences of the disease that they'll avoid through the immunization, that that's much worse than a, than a little needle prick and a day or two of soreness. That's to be preferred to uh, what, what could happen if, with polio or some of the other uh, diseases that are crippling and lifelong. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. Even Christ didn't have to rely on his own strength. Do you realize that? In this moment of testing and trying, even there God saw to it that he had the support that he needed. And it was in the form of an angel to come and to minister to him. What an interesting picture. The Lord of glory, reduced to the state of a frail man, and one of his servants, an angel, came and ministered to him. It's my own meditations I've been reading here and there in the Old Testament, and I was just reading about Elijah this morning, and how when he was ready to faint and he went under the juniper tree, the Lord sent an angel to give him food and to encourage him, not once but twice, you know, it should be enough for God to say, you have Moses and the prophets, believe them, it's enough. But he knows our frame. He knows our weakness and our difficulty. And so he sees to it that sometimes we receive a heavenly messenger of another kind, a word of encouragement perhaps, or maybe a card in the mail, or a conversation with someone, whatever it might be that we need that props us up. Because he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust, as it says in the Psalms. You know, the things that Christ went through. The battle was won in the garden. Though there was still a great struggle ahead, the battle was won in the garden. And for those that, like me, I guess, are amateur students of history, I like reading about historical events and how certain, you know, they say it's like a hinge. A great door swings on a very small hinge, and sometimes there's those key events in time, usually in a, in a battle, a moment in a battle, a particular decisive moment in, in the battle where the whole fate of the nation swings on that, on that event. There's even a, uh, a poem in the English language, 
For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the king was lost. For want of the king, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a nail. Something seemingly so insignificant can have such great consequences. And so it was that our Lord realized that there would be no victory at the cross unless there was victory in the garden. It's a good reminder for us, too, that the real victory is not won in the, in, the, in the heat of temptation, but in the prayer for strength that precedes it. The battle is first won on our knees. Don't think that you will overcome temptation without first preparing in prayer, without earning a victory there. You know, if Jacob didn't go face Esau until he had wrestled with the angel at the river Jabbok. He had to first struggle alone there with no audience to overcome. And then he was ready to face the brother that he had slighted so many years ago. Don't expect that you will be ready without prayer. And if I've learned anything in the last few months, I guess, or half a year, the importance of prayer, being in prayer and being thoughtful in prayer, being consistently in prayer. The radio in my van broke sometime during COVID and I never bothered to repair it. I didn't really need to hear the COVID headlines repeated again and again anyway. And so instead I pray often when I'm driving places. And I pray out loud because my mind wanders. And so it helps me when I, when I pray out loud and I can hear myself praying. It helps keep me on track. And I'm, in those times of prayer, I'm as familiar with God as anyone could be, I think. I don't use fancy language. I don't use big words. I talk to him about my faults and failures and my weakness and my doubts. And God has never penalized me for that. You never have to be afraid of being real with God. You can always tell him exactly how you feel. Even if you feel that he's abandoned you, you can tell him that too. He'll forgive you. He'll hear you. And he'll provide. If we're to do anything or be prepared for any great work, it must begin in prayer. What's the alternative? Sleep. You can sleep. God will let you sleep. But you'll miss out. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be kneeling beside Christ and praying while he was praying for, for, to his Father? What a, what a moment that would be. I've heard accounts of some of you know I like listening to some of the messages of Leonard Ravenhill. He's long since passed away, but he was a great man of prayer. And he knew other great men of prayer, and he valued prayer more than anything else. He said the biggest failing of seminary stu- uh, um, uh, schools in America is they don't teach prayer. They teach everything but. They don't teach prayer. And he talked about a time once when he was with a, a great man of prayer, and uh, he invited him to, to pray with him, and, 
And he said, I'm not going to miss this for the world. They got up in the morning and he said, I began praying and I prayed for, he says, I don't know how long it was, maybe 15 minutes, maybe a half an hour. And when I had finished praying, I, had, I was prayed out. He said, I, I, was, I didn't have anything else to say. He said, and then that other man began to pray. He said, it was as if heaven opened. And as he was in mid-prayer, he said, there was a knock on the door someone calling this man's name. And he said, who could be interrupting us during a time of prayer? And the call came again. It's almost 3 o'clock, sir. You're scheduled to speak in 15 minutes. He said, it can't be 3 o'clock. We began praying at 9 or 10 in the morning. Sure enough, it was. That time in prayer was so special, so, so wonderful, so wondrous. He said, it's my, it's my favorite memory think, wow, I've never experienced that. I haven't seen that. What must it have been like to pray with the Lord in that way? He'll let you sleep if you want, but you'll be the one that misses out. Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. We often think of prayer as a last resort, the thing we do when nothing else works. When the doctors fail, when the medication fails, when friends fail, then you can pray. And yet we're to do that right at the beginning. Rise and pray. We have a lot that we can rely on in this modern age, technology and other things. And so perhaps we become accustomed to probabilities and expected results and percentages and surgical miracles. In other days, they didn't have those things available to them. And so they prayed. And sometimes the answer to prayer doesn't come in the way that we expect. Well, he yet spake, behold, a multitude came. It looked like everything was going upside down. You know, you may wonder why it was that Judas had to kiss the Lord to show who it was that they were supposed to grab. <laughs> I thought about that a little bit too, and I concluded that Christ maybe didn't quite look like some of the paintings made him out to be. Six foot two, dashingly handsome with flowing locks and so on. I think Christ was probably a very average looking man. Just one of the, one of the group one who didn't perhaps look all that different from the other men on the street. And so in the uncertain light there, it was necessary for Judas to mark him out for them so they would know who they were supposed to grab, lest they take the wrong person. You know, back in those days, of course, there was no photography, so you, nowadays we're very familiar with how people look and act and speak, having never met them, because we know them from video or from a picture. But back in that time, perhaps he was only seen at a distance. And, but even so, I don't, I don't think Christ was a very remarkable physical man. I think he was, he was representative of the race, a healthy, average man, but full of the Spirit of God. And so you don't have to worry about what sort of a person you are and what your physical presence looks like. It doesn't matter. In all of the things we have written about Christ, do you realize we have no description of what he looked like? None. 
Like, wouldn't that have been the first question of the first child that wanted to know the story of Jesus? What did he look like? Describe him to me. That's what my kids would have asked. Tell me about his hair color. How tall was he? Was he big? Was he small? Was he muscular? Was he skinny? Was he, what was he? Not recorded once for us. None of the disciples took it upon themselves to give us a portrait of the one they followed. Interesting, isn't it? It's fitting when you consider the important thing was what was within. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever does my works and has the same spirit, he's of me. That was, the, that was the notable thing. And so we have lots recorded about the works of Christ and the Spirit of Christ because that's what's important for us. Not an outward model. Not physical appearance. I find it so interesting. Here these men were coming to destroy Christ, to cause him unimaginable pain. And in the midst of that, this Malchus, whose name is recorded for us, has his ear cut off by Peter. And Christ takes the time then and there. It wasn't a mortal wound. Other men had lost a piece of their ear before in a fight, I'm sure. He takes the time to heal him. Can you imagine for a moment what it must have been like to be Malchus? To know what happened to unbelievingly sort of touch the side of your face, knowing, knowing what had happened, think, I'm, I'm not bleeding, how can this be? And then to watch what they do to this man. I don't know how much he saw. But can you imagine the goodness of the one that they took? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. There are times and seasons that are given to things in this world. We don't always see what's going on. We don't always understand. And that, of course, is hard for us because we like to understand. We like to know. Our first parents had that same fault and failing. They wanted to know. And so they took that fruit. Curiosity killed the cat is the proverb that we Use and satisfaction brought it back, I think, is the other half of it. We want to know. There's something in us that wants to know. We want to see the whole thing worked out. We want to have the happy ending. And that, I think, is nothing other than a, than a God-authored longing for heaven. There's that divine part of us that says, one day this all has to be set right. Somehow, somehow, some way, all of the wrongs need to be accounted for. And all of the bad deals that people have gotten in this life somehow need to be reconciled. And they will. And they will. I think it was C.S. Lewis that says, heaven is not just a compensation for ills in this life. It's not like you had a really bad life, so heaven's really good. It's actually that heaven works backward into time and redeems what has already happened. With heaven, we get to see 
much like we see now in the Gospels, how each of these events that seem so horrible worked out according to God's plan, that God had a purpose in all of it, something that seems completely senseless now and horrible. This wasn't very long ago. A 13-year-old boy was buried in Kitchener. And there's no redeeming thing we can pull from that. We can't look at that and say, wow, God's will was done. Thank God. No, it seems like a senseless waste of life. But I trust that one day, somehow, we're going to see how all of these things work together in some special way. No, we don't see it now. And we can't, we can't put frosting on it and try to cover it up like we do. We don't. We can only trust that the God who is good and just will one day make it all right and we will see heaven working backward into time and we will understand that the God who loved us all along was working that for our good. We just didn't see it at the time. So for those of us, perhaps, that are going through difficulties, and I don't know what each one's going through here, one day we will see, one day we will understand, and one day we will praise him for it. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Would a brother please like... Heavenly Father, how often do we find ourselves in our own weak wisdom and our own pride to try to connect the dots looking forward, dear Father, thinking that somehow our education or whatever we have or whatever we think we have will pave a nice smooth road for us looking forward. We're reminded over and over again, including today, that we can only connect these dots, dear Father, looking backward, and that you're working and that your hand is in everything in us, dear Father. We thank you that you're here guiding our way, dear Father, but once again, we must dispense with our pride. Leave that aside, dear Father, and Father, indeed, check our egos at the door, not only when we enter your house, dear Father, but when we get up every morning and our feet hit the ground. First, to thank you for every breath that we take and to leave what comes ahead of us in each day, dear Father, up to you. Each day, dear Father, we will stumble through our prayers like we do every day, dear Father. Sometimes we can't find words. We know who we're speaking to, and often we are humbled to know that we're talking to the creator of the universe somehow dear father we we ask for forgiveness that we can't find words and often dear father we can't we can just sit there in silence and just let your spirit work through us we thank you again dear father once again a very good reminder that the world will unfold the way your will wants it to dear father not our own and we look forward to the day dear father when all of this is explained to us we're reminded once again, none of it makes sense. Very little of it does. But those who trust in you, dear Father, we know our reward will be an understanding above, above all. We thank you again for this, dear Father. We look forward to the week ahead of us. May we not fret. May we not worry about what's to come because we know that in the end, dear Father, we win. We thank you again for your son, for what he's given for us. 
and that we can all take up each other's burdens, including our own crosses, dear Father. Move forward with strength and boldness, knowing that you're with us every step of the way. We pray a blessing, dear Father, on our dismissal. We may travel home safely, dear Father. Gather up our, our thoughts and prayers once again for the week ahead and ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm thankful for the prayer we just heard because it reminds us also that these things were recorded for us not as some historical curiosity but as a uh, an equipping a strengthening for what lies ahead I hope and pray for each one of us during the week that we may be encouraged by the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ he was a special man he was God come in the flesh but he was still a man. We can't lose sight of that either. He stumbled under the weight of the cross, and the Lord provided another Simon to pick it up and carry it for him. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. His children were known among the believers because of it. That was for the future. And so, if the Lord gives us a cross to bear, we don't know what the blessings are that may follow. I'm sure Simon had no idea at the time where he was called, perhaps at the point of a sword, to go pick up that bloody cross that that man was stumbling under and carry it up the hill. He had no idea, I'm sure, that one day the bloodied man who was walking beside him was going to save the souls of his two boys. We don't know how trials are in this world. We don't see the end. We only are given a small window, a keyhole in time. And so we need to follow the example of Christ. And one day we will see, we will understand. We will know even as we are known. That will be quite the day to have that all open to us and to step back from it and go, oh, that was why. Now I understand. And we'll praise him for that. May the Lord bless us, and may he also dismiss us with his blessing for whatever the week may hold ahead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.